Welcome to the Otherworldly Oracle official podcast. We are your hosts, Kitty and Laura. And in this episode, we are flying into the realm of the Norse Germanic witch, aka the vulva. We will be defining sieve, talking about trance, prophesizing, sacred animals, and rituals. So grab your cuppa and settle in. Hey, hey. Hey, hey. <laughs> what is up? <laughs> I've had too much coffee. <laughs> oh, I wish I could have some coffee right about now. I'm going to make it. <laughs> I'm going to make it. So this is going to be an exciting episode, I think. I think you and I have both been looking forward to this one. Oh, yes. Yes. Yes, I have. So before we get, before we dive into it, First, I want to ask you, Alora, are you drawn to the Norse or Germanic practices and traditions? Yes, yes, yes. And there's a two-part reason, I think, for that. One is because Odin has been my patron for the lifetime of my practice, basically. Uh, and number two, a lot of my ancestors are from, uh, like, I have a German portion of my tree, but I also have a Scottish portion that leaks into uh, the Normans, um, the Norse Vikings, all of that stuff. So yes, the short answer is yes. And it's so funny because I, when I was reading some of your research for this podcast and when I went to that exhibit on Vikings, like I never realized like how much of this I do that I didn't know was related to something. And I think you said the same. Yeah, it, it, it's funny. I agree with you. We, we're in sync on that because just reading more recently about Seethe and the vulvas and all that, it was like, yeah, it was kind of like a, like a, oh, moment, you know? I don't know if this is coming from our past lives or, you know, from ancestors or both, but it's definitely interesting to note that yeah, you and I have both been doing these practices for, I think, our whole lives. Right, exactly. Pretty cool. And for those out there who are probably sitting there saying seethe, this is spelled S-E-I-D-R, mm -hmm. like some accents or I don't even know what is over top of the D. Um, but funny enough, when I was at that exhibit, they spelled it S E S E I O R. Hmm. So I don't Are know. You sure. It wasn't just like the way. So maybe just a, never mind. I have a thought on that, but we'll move on. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, a lot of people I've seen pronounce it as Seder, but that's not the actual pronunciation. So it can be pronounced one of two ways. You can either say it seethe or save, but it, I like to pronounce it like seethe because it kind of reminds me of being angry. I don't know. I just like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So it's kind of an interesting connection though, when you think about it. But where does this word come, like what does this word actually mean? There's different theories. I don't think anyone, you know, today knows the exact meaning, but one theory relates seethe to the word sooth or uh, soothsayer, mm. which is someone right. who tells the future, right? Right. In addition, another theory says it means to sing or to speak. So all those things, I mean, kind of playing together, really. And right. they really, I think they define the essence of what seethe actually is, which we're about to dive into head first. So, but to, but to wrap it up, to, to give you a main definition, essentially it's an old form of Norse and Germanic witchcraft that continued in, into the medieval and Viking age. And it's now being really revived and explored again today by modern witches and pagans. Awesome. Like this. I know. <laughs> awesome. So why don't we talk about, I think, let's see, what do I want to get into first? Because this is going to be a, a pretty meaty episode. <laughs> right. Because I've been doing a lot of research and also because Alora just recently, as she had mentioned, she just recently went to a really awesome exhibit that was putting on display a lot of the Viking what were there like ships and a lot of the religious artifacts and factoids, what have you. Right. Right. Yeah. It was a pretty awesome exhibit. So it covered all of Viking life, but then, so it went through like their trade and uh, how they were seafarers and all the general day-to-day -day stuff. Right. But then like, as you're walking, as you walked through the exhibit, it was in kind of like a circular shape. Uh, so you mm -hmm. went from, you started on one side and then you went around and came across on another side. And when you basically turned to come back to the center of where you started, that entire side was dedicated to uh, Norse paganism, which I thought was just freaking awesome. So it is cool. I would have loved to have seen that. <laughs> so let's go into first of all what we're going to say that seethe is actually the practice but the person who typically practiced this form of witchcraft or norse witchcraft was often called one or more of the following the first one is vulva that was reserved solely for females and before we go any further i wanted to point out the pink elephant in the room <laughs> well it might not be a pink elephant <laughs> <laughs> I think we all find it interesting that the term uh, very closely relates to the female genitalia. Right. And it also, I think, links to the, I mean, it's it, vulva is actually a Latin derivation for womb. So kind of all links together there. Right. Which makes sense. Even... Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, which makes even more sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. As we, we'll get there. Okay. Yes. We're getting there. So the <laughs> other, the next one is volor and you wanted to add something to that. That means what? 
Alora. Uh, yeah, that particular word actually means staff bearer, which I thought was really interesting. That's cool. Because all uh, all vulva, well, I'll say all, but um, I would say a vast majority uh, had their staff. Their staff was highly important to their practice. So mm-hmm. I think that that's why that word came into play. Yeah. The next one is Seed Kona, if I'm pronouncing that right, please forgive me if I'm not, which is a female who prophesizes, or there was also Seed Men for a man who practiced Seed. So we're going to get into this just a little bit. We're, we're not going to go real far with it. But interestingly, apparently men who practiced Seed were often ostracized for it as it was thought mainly to be a female practice. Right. And I found out the reason for this uh, was because they thought men who practice Seve only brought shame upon themselves. But this is something else where I feel like when you talk about vulva being the Latin derivation for womb and you know, the word vulva being related to the female genitalia and all of that stuff. Like Mm -hmm. I, it it makes sense that they would relate the practice to being female dominated. Right. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Except, but it's interesting though, because velour is staff bearer, right? So how does that work? Yeah. Because the staff is a phallic symbol, right? Right, exactly. So, well, I, I also read something that the vulva, they called them the wand wed. So, meaning mm-hmm. that they were, you know, tied to or, you know, basically dedicated their lives to this practice, right? But the wand is also kind of a phallic symbol. So, it, it kind of indicates too that they may have been maybe not celibate, but definitely weren't like settling down with a man either. <laughs> it reminds me of like nuns. Yeah. It, I, yeah. I didn't want to say like that, but yeah, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I didn't want to say <laughs> celibate necessarily. Cause I don't know that that's the truth, but you know what I'm saying? Like, no, you know, I just they mean say they're married to God or whatever. It's kind right, of like exactly. that, right? Like they yeah. go through a symbolic ceremony to wed themselves to God. Yeah. So very interesting. Hmm. <laughs> Anyways. So it, it, to, to expand on this too, it, it is interesting, you know, that it's supposedly was solely a female practice because Odin was known to have practiced Seve. So I think that, you know, there's some, I don't know, there was some taboo kind of tribal issues there. Right. But anyway, um, and Freya taught Seve to Odin, at least that's what the sagas tell us. Right. But I guess they're kind of saying like, if you ain't Odin, you're not going to be a vulva or practicing seeth or seethman or whatever. (laughs) But that's really interesting though, because it's well documented or it was well known. And I don't know how well known it is today, but that even the God of wisdom had to seek the insight of a vulva. Yes. We're going to get into, right. So, along that line, in the saga of Baldur's Dream, Odin travels down the world tree on his eight-legged steed, Sleipnir, to find a dead vulva and speak to her. So, interestingly, I love this part, the vulva doesn't live in Helheim, she lives on the edge of it, 
which the reason why I love this is because it reminds me how all witches, you know, lived on the edge or the outskirts of towns or, you know, how we ride the hedge, so to speak, or we exist in liminal spaces, right? So I always, right. I kind of thought that that was really neat. Also, seed wasn't a practice that was for everyone back in the day. So even if, you know, you found it interesting and you thought, oh, I would like to be a vulva. It wasn't like that. It was, you were called to do this work typically through an initiation process, similar to, you know, shamans of Siberian culture or other shamanic traditions. And supposedly some of the initiation processes involved spontaneous visions or dreams, typically being like dismembered, disemboweled, uh, having your bones removed. And I'm going to have to probably put a trigger warning at the beginning of this now that I realize <laughs> <laughs> it's a little heavy, but anyway. And then also a lot of the legends after that happened to you, then you would essentially be put back together again, or they would, you would, your body would be filled with other items from nature, which this is like a big initiation belief or custom or process, whatever you want to call it, that kind of spans cultures, not just the Norse, but it, it, it's like worldwide, really. Right. Yes, I agree. So, and we were talking a little bit about dreams and the initiation process earlier. And <clears throat> the one for me that I don't know if I told you about this, but when I was, I want to say 12 or 13, I had a really it was a disturbing dream, but it, I, it wasn't like I woke up scared. But anyway, I was, I dreamt that I was taken into a dark cave and they removed my intestines. <laughs> Do you know who the they were? <laughs> they were just dark. Like, I don't, I don't remember. I mean, I say dark. I don't mean like evil or bad or anything. It was just, they were there. They were beings, but I couldn't really see their faces necessarily. Right. Yeah. Uh, that, that that would have freaked me out, <laughs> especially oh, at that age. I, it, ironically, I guess it really didn't, but it just always stuck with me. And then when I read about those initiation visions, you know, the disembowelment or the, the whatever, what have you, I was like, whoa, that's pretty intense. In addition, though, we think, you know, snake dreams and uh, that type of thing could also be of an initiation nature, right? You've had some snake dreams and some brushes oh, yeah. with snakes, right? Oh yeah, we were yeah, we were just talking about that actually. <laughs> mhm. Mm mm -hmm. Cuz snakes, we'll get into the the meaning of snakes here soon. So, okay. Keep listening. <laughs> <laughs> so, before we get into the practices of seethe, I'd like to inform our listeners that the best source of understanding the old practices is to read through the Edas and the Old Norse and Germanic sagas that mention the vulvas. The Voluspa and the Poetic Eda is one of the most well-known and features a vulva named Hyde, who prophesizes the end of the world, which is Ragnarok. I'm sure many of you have heard of it. And she's prophesizing this to Odin. Mm. So I'd like to read a quick piece of the Voluspa translated by Carolyn Larrington. And this is about the vulva. Bright one, they called her. Whenever she came to houses, the seer with pleasing prophecies, she charmed them with spells. She made magic wherever she could. 
With magic, she played with minds. She was always the favorite of wicked women. I love that part. <laughs> oh my gosh, I have chills. Like, I know, yeah. right? I love that. <laughs> I know. I, it's really inspiring me to go back and read like all of the Edas and the sagas and everything. There's not enough time, you know? <laughs> I know. There's not enough hours in the day for what I would like to accomplish. <laughs> I exactly. Like all these things I want to study and practice and it's just, I, ugh, there's not enough time. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. go ahead. So let's talk about main practices of the vulva. Okay. Yes. So yes, yes, we're going to do that. <laughs> and keep in mind, if this is a path that you are interested in, our listeners, these are practices you should start to study and at some point, try out for yourself. So the first main thing is that the vulva or the seeth kona would prophesize, right? Or prophesy, however you want to say it. They mm. would travel from place to place, visiting various tribes and families, depending on, on the time period. And they would offer their services of telling the future or clarifying on events from the past or even the present. So they did this by entering into a trance state and while the Edas and the Sagas don't really tell us how they did that, uh, they probably each did it in their own way. But Alora, you might want to expand on that as well. Yeah, uh, interestingly enough, well, <laughs> so intuitively, I wanted to add on to this and say, I'm pretty sure that it was by way of poisonous herbs, potions, and music, because it just made like the most sense to my intuition. But then after I wrote that, I visited uh, the Viking exhibit and I come to find out <laughs> um, archaeologists often identify the graves or burials of vulva because not only are they buried with their staff, but they are also buried with charms, amulets, and hallucinogenic drugs. Which back then, I'm pretty sure the only hallucinogenic drugs they had were poisonous herbs. Um, so, oh, they had cannabis. It's still an herb. Well, true, and I don't really consider <laughs> it poisonous. But anyway, we're not going there. So, <laughs> but you know what I mean, like. Yeah. To have hallucinogenic drugs back then, they had to come from a plant source. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So when I read that, it was kind of a wow moment for me just because I thought, man, how did, how did I know that? <laughs> there was a saga, and I don't remember if I'm going to get into this or not, but I'm just going to talk about it now, talking about the, the potions and uh, songs and whatnot. I did just recently read, too, that in one of the sagas, they talk about a specific vulva who travels to a farm, like a little village farm type scenario, and the families, you know, bring her there to give her prophecies. And yeah, they provide her with a drink, and they don't say what's in the drink. And she asks one of the women from the village to sing her a song. So... Mm -hmm. You're pretty, you know, dead on with that. <laughs> yeah, it kind of freaks me out a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, a trance state, it could, 
for me, it always involves music of some kind. So drumming or what, what have you. So it does make sense that the music part, but you know, it, it was, it's cool that you caught on to that. Well, I think too, the actual staff, like Volva staff. So in this exhibit, they actually had a Volva staff from between 800 and 1100 uh, BC. And it's the coolest thing. And the video is on my Facebook page. If you would like to look at it and see it, because you can feel the magic radiating off this staff through the photo. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. seeing it in person was pretty awesome. But wow. if you notice the charms that they're talking about, like the end of the staff has like charms dangling from it. Yeah. So I'm sure that it was used at some point and in some way to make sound. That's awesome. And you were like, you were like, could you just open this case so that I can touch it? (laughs) (laughs) I wish. Please Uh, let me touch it. I was just in awe. Yeah, that's pretty bad ASS, if I can say so. And I wasn't there, so. <laughs> you can definitely okay, feel it through so, the, the video. So let's talk about journeying and things like that. So, yeah. So the next part of this is the vulva would do something called shamanic visionary journeying, or if it's just visionary journeying. This is a modern thought, but vulvas today believe that vulvas of the past practiced this tradition or custom, what have you, to receive their information and to prophesy, which goes along with the trance. It kind of, it goes all together, right? Because you can be in a trance and go through a visionary journey. You can also be asleep and go through a visionary journey. But either way, this type of trance state and going on a visionary journey can be, is very enlightening, but it can also be dangerous. So if you're a beginner to trance and visionary journeys, you're going to want to take your time, work up to staying in the other realms for longer periods of time, you know, maybe start out for a few minutes and then go from there. Use a trigger to get into the trance state. And you might want to consider calling on an animal guardian to protect and guide you, or maybe just, you know, your spirit guide or God, whoever you're working with. Triggers like uh, drumming, dancing, chanting, incense, music, and deep relaxation will help you get into the trance state. You can try out all these or maybe just, you know, one here, there combination. For me, it's usually music, usually drumming, and incense. I always burn dragon's blood. I don't know why, but that always kind of does it for me. How about Hmm. you? Typically... With journeying, yes, I'm the same. Uh, music and I do light incense, although it's not super important to yeah. getting me into a trance state. Uh, but generally, just music does it. For I like me. the lights low too. You know, candlelight. <laughs> it just it kind of. Oh well, yeah. Down. Like yeah. I don't, I don't do journeying out in the direct sunlight. I don't know why it just doesn't. <laughs> it's not inspiring to get into a trance state yeah yeah i agree i had actually done this through dancing a few times and that's pretty amazing experience but that's not always for me i I don't like i have to be in the mood (laughs) although i will say that i always like candles yeah 
I don't know why, but it's not like I can, you know, I'm, I don't know. I can, I can get into of it. It just sets the tone. Right. I, I think. Right. Yeah. And like, I can use them to focus on, to go into that trance state. Uh-huh. Or if I decided to close my eyes, I still have like this glow around, you know what I mean? Like it's dark, but there's also like a glow, even when you close your eyes. Yes. Yes. I know exactly what you mean, but it is kind of funny because I have actually journeyed um, outside in the sunlight before. <laughs> oh, that would be, that would be difficult for me. I don't know. I've just never been drawn to try it really. I love like, the sunlight and it just kind of really relaxes me. So anyway, so moving on people. <laughs> so all those things in mind, when you're done with your journeying session, Oh, did I say, Oh yeah, I'm about to go there. Sorry. So make sure you ground and center yourself after. And yes. if another big one is to set an alarm, if you're journeying alone, some kind right. of something to snap you out of it because you don't want to get right. stuck out there traveling yeah, that would up be- and down the world tree forever <laughs> <laughs> um and as far as grounding and centering yourself one of the things that i like to do after journeying is to eat lots of heavy heavier foods whether it's root vegetables or red meat or um but very grounding foods. Yeah, agreed. Bread. Did you say bread? No, I said oh. root vegetables and, and red meat. Bread not, is one that I use. Do not hate me because I eat red meat. I need the iron. <laughs> I don't hate you. Uh, well, that Wagyu beef. All right. That's so, all we have out here, really. Wagyu beef? <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's, like, that's, the, that's the standard here. What? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so I, I should, maybe I should consider living down under. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Nice. So, so what about... Oh, wait, one more thing on the journey. Sorry. So for people that might not know the difference, journeying is a little bit different from meditation. Meditation, there's typically like one specific goal, right? And you could have a goal for journeying, but when you go on a journey, it's like going on a journey, right? You're going to meet people down along your path and you might not know exactly where you're going, but you know, you have a destination in mind. Does that make sense? Am I explaining that right? Yes. Okay. So just to put that out there. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to bring up speaking to the dead. Yes, um, same thing through, this can be done through trance and journeying. You may learn to speak to the dead and the dead may tell you what's to come in the future and that's how you prophesy as well. Definitely make sure you're writing down everything you experience on these journeys and when you're in a trance state, obviously when you come out of it. And also know that you're not always gonna see things. Some people don't necessarily have you know, visions, but they might hear voices, hear things, smell things, taste, or even feel things on your journeys too. So, oh, oh, and in addition, we've talked about this before on the Dreams podcast, and I think a couple other ones, but in your sleep as well, in that, in the in-between 
state of sleep and waking. I've been getting a lot of visitations during that time. Hmm. And um, sometimes they're a bit jarring, but nevertheless, they're interesting. <laughs> they're wild. Wake-induced lucid dreaming. That's what it is. So, but also, well, and I have a question. So with speaking to the dead, do you know if the vulva only did that through trance and journeys or is that something that she could do at will? From what I was reading, it was mostly through trance and journeying, but I mean, we could always assume and believe that they probably had clairvoyant or, you know, medium type abilities and be able to do it on the fly. Right. Well, and also like, I think it's naive to assume that every vulva was the same with their abilities and what they could, what they could do. I mean, I think prophesizing was a huge part of it, but I also think that as far as like psychic ability, Claire ability, things like that. I'm sure they were different. Oh yeah. Just like anybody. I mean, in right. this day and age that has abilities and they did more, which we're going to be getting into next. <laughs> <Woo-hoo>. <laughs> so the next one, and this is definitely known that they did was cursing. Mm. So the vulva was called upon and known to curse and in particular throw nightmares or send nightmares at a victim or an enemy. That was something that a lot of people employed them to do. So being how that they knew, they knew how to curse, they most likely knew how to heal, but I haven't found much on that aspect yet. You know, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about that word nightmare mm-hmm. and I am like night horses. Like, is there something about that? Like- oh yeah, it, it is. I, yes. That's why I kind of split it up between night and mare. And I don't remember what culture that comes from, but that, that is where it mm-hmm. comes from because people thought that, you know, their nightmares were spirits being sent to them. And it has something to do with the black horse. And I'm going to have to look it up and share it with you now. But, and the only reason I know that is because I did so much research on sleep paralysis and the night hag. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. We can move on. I just, it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty wild. (laughs) There we go. I got to stop saying that. Okay. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) At least we're not talking about pushing crystals. Uh, I'm an herb herb pusher. (laughs) Yeah, that didn't sound much better. Okay, so shape changing. Yes, so other practices were shape changing or shape shifting. Most people know it as that. And again, this ritual was typically done in a trance state, but could also be done while astral traveling and during dream time. And which is interesting because I've, I've been shape-shifting involuntarily, mind you. I've never like done it. I've never been like, I think I'm going to, you know, turn into a frog tonight and then turn a fro- into a frog in my dreams. But I've done that a few times naturally in my dreams as well. <laughs> 
I, so I've done it in meditation unintentionally, mm-hmm. uh, into other creatures, but I actually, it was just this past year. I became very interested in consciously, uh, shape changing into a specific animal. Mm-hmm. So I have yet to do it, but I want to do it like full out ritual style though. I've done it once and it was with the butterfly, which is pretty cool. Hmm. And what I did was I made an oil with, sorry, nobody get mad at me about this, but a butterfly wing infused into it. I didn't kill the butterfly. It was given to me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So you can consider doing something like that if you can, you know, fine. I don't want to say a part of the animal that you're shifting into, but even, I think we talked about this before too, Alora, you and I, even like an herb that might be associated with the animal or something that they ate, you could infuse that into an oil to kind of help you with the ritual. Right. Because I know we've talked about this. Mm -hmm. We could, honestly, once once you do the ritual and I get back into it, we should probably do an episode on shape-shifting specifically. Um, write that down. Yeah. I'll just put an X by that. <laughs> okay. What did they do about div- divining and using divination? Well, from what we know, and I don't think it's a big surprise, they casted runes. Right. Most of the vulvas always had a bag their rune bag on them at all times. I'm sure they probably had other forms of divination as well. Scrying, you know, reading bird flight patterns, looking at the clouds, all that kind of thing. Fire scry. I, I, I'm, I'm sure. But the main, the main thing that we know of is of course the elder Futhark runes. So. Right. And I like, I wonder if, they also threw charms and bones. Probably. I mean, what hmm. we know of them is based on old sagas and the Edas, which some of this stuff was written down by Christians at the time. Hmm. You know? Right. It would be nice if we could just hop in the DeLorean and like gun it back to <laughs> 888, you know? It's so hilarious that you just said that because last week we introduced the kids to back to the future oh nice <laughs> and they had never awesome. seen it before and you just yeah. said Del- uh see it's, it's things like that folks <laughs> that happened to us all the time yeah. it's true it's true no but for real like wouldn't you like to just go back for just like little bits and pieces. Like, I don't want to live, relive the whole thing necessarily, but. Right. Right. Especially like the warring. The right. I was going to say the wars. Like, no, thank you. I don't know that I would want to do that. <laughs> yeah. And like most people didn't live past the age of, you know, their thirties, if you were lucky. Right. <laughs> So now let's talk about, because we've already been kind of talking about tools, but in addition to the staff and their charms, or you said the staff was actually decorated with charms, right? There were like charms at the top? Mm, No, so it had a handle 
And then it led down to basically it had like a circular end Mm -hmm. and there were charms like. Oh, just just decorating it. Yeah. So like one of them on the staff that I saw was like a key symbol. Mm -hmm. So they had different. Yeah, different charms on the end. Interesting. A key. Ooh, like a key to the other realms. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Like a key to unlocking your power. Ooh. All right. So (laughs) in addition to a lot of the sagas talk about the vulvas would wear cloaks and specifically blue cloaks. Right. So it's kind of funny. I was laughing, you know, we were laughing about the the witch's tools in the last episode and I was like making fun of a cloak you know the cloak of invisibility and <laughs> you need a staff if you're traveling to Mordor and then I read this and I was like okay I gotta stop making fun of that now <laughs> <laughs> also interesting to note one of the other things that archaeologists identify uh, vulva burial sites by is the fact that they are in their cloaks and weird clothing I don't know oh, really? what that means. Oh, darn. Like, I, I was hoping you had like an example. No, I don't. I'm not sure what that means, but it Weird basically, clothing. well, it said strange, strange clothing. Hmm. So I'm like, what Very is cool. considered strange to an archaeologist? Because I know it's not a cloak. Yeah, good point. So, hmm, I don't know. That is one to ponder. <laughs> <laughs> So in addition to the runes and the cloak and the staff, they also would sit atop a stage called a seed holler. I think that's how you, holler. I think that's how you pronounce it. <laughs> and the reason for this, it was kind of like, not like a podium, but you know, it, it would elevate them so that they could look out over the people and to the surrounding environment. I'm sure there's like a story of a vulva who looks out into the horizon as the sun is setting. So I'm sure they were drawing off of the whole experience, you know, being in the fields with the people in front of them. And, you know, maybe there's some forest in the distance. I don't know. I have this very clear image in my head, which is pretty cool. Hmm. It's very reminiscent to me of Native American vision questing and things like that when they went and set up on, you know, plateaus high above. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. It kind of seemed more like a, I don't want to say a throne, but the way that the sagas make it sound is that it's like a stage, basically. Yeah. Whatever. Anyway, I already said that. (laughs) All right, so what tips do we want to give people out there who are interested in this path? I mean, we've already been discussing all the different practices, so I think take your time and learn each one. Obviously, the best source, like we said, is to go back and read through the Edas or the sagas that mention vulvas and their practices. But I think, too, it's important to develop a relationship with what will really help is an animal spirit guardian or animal spirit guide, whatever you want to call it. It doesn't have to necessarily be a sacred Norse animal, but that might help since they have a history there, right? 
And basically you just allow one to come to you and maybe request their presence in your journeys and in your sleep and just in your daily life, your magic rituals, et cetera. And also interesting to note was women who practiced to see were associated with snakes because they were ambiguous symbols of both good and evil and were used by vulva also known as female ritual specialists. So whenever there was a ritual going on, you can probably bank on the fact that the vulva was using a snake in some format. (laughs) Very cool. Kind of reminds me of Marie Laveau a little bit too with her python or whatever it was that she had that she would take to rituals and stuff. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I just want to touch on this really quick because I feel like we need to say this because so throughout religious practices, there is an element of ritual sacrifice, especially in ancient practices, right? We're not talking about modern practices. We're talking about ancient religious practices. Mm -hmm. But what I found interesting with this is that ritual sacrifices that are associated with uh, a lot of different branches of paganism, mm-hmm. which normally are performed by the magic practitioners. Well, in Norse paganism, the if there was to be a ritual sacrifice, it was the king who had to do it, which I thought was extremely interesting. So... This brings up a, a, a point, uh, something that I don't think, I don't know if you knew this, but anyway, I found a <laughs> King Olaf of Sweden in my family tree who mm-hmm. was actually, I don't know if he volunteered to do it or if his people made him do it, but essentially he was a ritual sacrifice because they had a bad year. I don't know what happened. You know, someone, someone lost some of their crops. I don't know. But anyway, they bl- they said that Odin was angry and that this guy basically needed to die. And he was my ancestor. So I thought that was kind of like, oh, <laughs> I read that. Well, when I say that it was the king's job to do it, I mean, it was the king's job to do the killing. Right. And I, and yes, and I, I knew exactly what you were saying. I was just expanding on that and telling you in this case, the guy actually was the sacrifice. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, in ancient cultures, they had the, <clears throat> they had the definition or the belief that their Kings were appointed by the gods. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which is not different than like medieval Christianity, right? Egypt was like that too. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. But the difference, I think, with ancient cultures versus like when you get into like medieval Christianity and maybe not so much, I don't know. But one of the things that I've noticed is, is that while these kings were deemed to be kings by the gods they were also, you know, the guy that took the fall if things were not going well. So it is, I mean, your great, great, whatever he is, grandfather or uncle or whoever, 
Yeah, granted. Uh, yeah, it's most likely that, you know, he if things went bad, whether it was his fault or not, since he was the one in charge and, you know, it was his responsibility. Mm -hmm. And so why wouldn't he become a sacrifice? Because obviously at that point he would think that he had fallen out of favor. True. So, yeah. Okay. I'll stop now. <laughs> no, I like that. It makes it seem a little more like he was like, I'll do it. I am the sacrifice. <laughs> oh, right. But it wasn't uncommon. That's, I guess that's my point. Like right. it wasn't uncommon for back then for a king to become a sacrifice if, yeah. you know, the people or he thought that he or she had thought that they were out of favor with the gods. True. Whether it was by force or by choice. Yeah. That is up for debate. <laughs> They'd be asking me to be king. I'm like, I'm like, no, nah, I'm good. Give it to my nope. brother. Nope, nope. <laughs> I'm good. I don't want to be king. <laughs> okay. So in addition to the animal guardian thing, I think we should also point out the fact that you should try to develop, not try to develop, you should develop a relationship with one of the gods of the Norse pantheon respectably Freya or Odin is best as they are known to be seed workers. Agreed. Agreed. There is a ton on this topic. We could go on and on, but I think right now we will talk about some good resources and then we'll wrap it up. Yeah. So if you have never heard of her, never seen her, Freya Norling, she is on YouTube. She not only she lives in Norway and she's part Swedish, but mm -hmm. she also has a master's degree in Norse folklore and mythology. And she is a practitioner of Seethe. Um, her, her channel is amazing. Yes. Uh, and so I highly recommend her channel for you guys yeah. to check out. She is really good. I, I really enjoy all, all of her videos. Yeah. Um, Aerith Har, I can't even say this name. Harger. Har, yeah, but that's not how it's pronounced. Harger. Um, <laughs> but know. it's H-A-R-G-E-R -E on YouTube. He is an artist and a Norse pagan spiritualist. I don't know the specifics of his, um, you know, spirituality because mm -hmm. he didn't look it out. But he also has a blog called Whispers of Yggdrasil. And his videos basically elaborate on his blog posts. So, and he's very educational as well in his videos. So. Yeah, there are, there, there's a lot of books available, but I think the one that I'm reading is really good. Actually, it's very much based on what we know historically through the sagas and edas. The book's called Seethe, the gateway is open or the gate is open. I'm sorry, I didn't write down. The author but that's the name of the the title of the book and it i do really recommend it it's really well written very cool and i know i have seen reviews for <clears throat> i have seen reviews for uh the way of fire and ice i think that's the name of the book yeah uh and i th i think it's by ryan oh i can't remember but I've heard very good things about that one. And I myself am dying to check that out. 
Yeah, and if you want, I mean, if you want to expand on the Norse paganism thing, there's books on heathenry. There's one called A Modern Guide to Heathenry, which is really good. I'm actually almost done with that one. I think I'm in the middle of like 10 books right now. I'm not kidding you. It's really <laughs> I'm in the middle of 10 books. I'm such a Sagittarius. Like I, I know. I'm like, this one's going to be really good. And then I start it and then I start another one. This one's going to be really good. And before I know it, there's like 10 books open. <laughs> it's bad. Anyway, and there, also, okay. go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, and there are also articles on Norse gods and goddesses and even some on snow and ice magic available at otherworldlyoracle.com. Also, there are a couple on runes as well. There's one on how to make your own Ooh. rune cards as well as one on how to begin reading the runes. Well, there you go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Everything mm -hmm. you need to get started. Yep. <laughs> All right, guys, I think we're going to wrap it up. You ready? Mm-hmm. All right. So check out our articles on dreams, astral travel, divin and divination at otherworldlyoracle.com. We welcome you to join our high-vibing Facebook group and visit my website at alorarain.com for numerology and soul origin profiles, as well as tarot readings. Shout out to all of our oracles for joining us, whether you're new or returning. Subscribe or favorite our podcast to be notified of future episodes. Help your magical sisters out and be sure to share our podcast and review us too. And remember, whether you're in the land of the Fae or the land of the ancestors, stay otherworldly.